Welcome, 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 everybody, to the Deconstructor of Fun podcast. I'm your host, Mishka Katkov, and my guests today are Noam Banon, CMO of Superplay, and he'll be talking about how their game, Dice Dreams, was able to find success in the highly competitive mobile games market of today. And my second guest is Sumit Chandel from Firebase Developer Relations Team, and he'll be talking about what other features Firebase offers to help game developers to unlock growth. So without further ado, Noam, let's start with you. Can you please introduce yourself to the guests and what do you do? How did you got into Superplay? Uh, a little bit about Dice Dreams and, and uh, a little bit about yourself. I'm Noam, I'm the CMO of Superplay for the past three years or so. And I'm started as an affiliate. This is how I basically uh, founded our med school. I studied medicine in the South, so that's the way I could basically make a living. Uh, after finishing med school and doing it all through med school, I uh, moved to the mother company that was back then in Matomi, and then I managed all of uh, the mobile activity in agency. Uh, I thought about uh, going back into medicine, uh, but then the offer from Superplay came, so I decided to move to Superplay. Uh, which was basically founded three year, about three months before I arrived there. And we started, uh, when I came, we were like nine people in, in something like a cheap WeWork style. Me, the founders, uh, you know, there was product creative and stuff like that. Uh, two founders from Platica. Uh, today, we're around 130 employees. Uh, and Growing, and uh, we have uh, three locations uh, Israel, the major one, we have, uh, Romania, and Ukraine. I think a lot of the developer development uh, in Israel game company is, is Ukraine based. The idea be behind uh, Dice Dreams and uh, the company is to gather around the best people in the industry and outside of it. So we, create, we can create something really memorable and to bring a really unique DNA uh, for, from all of the employees. So we, we thrive to succeed. We want to be, you know, the best and uh, the fastest growing, the best, the best game, the highest value and so on and so on. I think that helped us reaching where we are now. Michelle. I did not know that I you were you, you were a doctor. doctor. You, you could have been a doctor, but you ended up being uh, well, ended up in your head of user acquisition in a highly successful <laughs> growing mobile games company. But nevertheless, you could have been a doctor, right? <laughs> I am a doctor. I'm still you are a doctor. doctor. I'm actually, I'm actually, I finished my med school, went into uh, those, I was supposed to start a res mm -hmm. uh, residency. I have three boys, I haven't said. I have three young boys. And my wife is a doctor also. Mm -hmm. And I decided that the, the marketing life, I did both like, you know, for a while, like the same years that I invest in medicine to the years that I invested in marketing. And so I decided to move into, and I loved both. So I decided to move on with something that was for me, at, mm -hmm. at least at that point, more passionate, and more exciting. And Superplay was that, it was a exciting startup to join. That's that's amazing. So your fail safe is you're gonna be a doctor. That's not a bad thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going in. If everything goes to south, I'm going into the ER. Okay. All right. Uh, okay. Well, thank you, Noam, for the introduction. And um, and Sumit, um, please tell tell the uh, listeners more about yourself. Uh, yeah, of course. So thanks again for having me on the podcast. Really appreciate that. Um, so uh, yeah, it was uh, name Sumit. I was born um, in not do a whole long story, but just talk about my affiliation with games. I was born in a small town in Quebec uh, called Les Eds, where my parents opened up this uh, restaurant to sell fast food, which is very funny because both my parents are vegetarian. Uh, but they they somehow did this. They were very busy with work, so I used to play a lot of games growing up, um, and uh, I made a lot of friends through games. Uh, in fact, I used to uh, program in QBasic uh, way back in the day and make these kind of choose your own adventure games with a friend of mine. Um, so we, it was my best friend at the time, actually. So we'd, and we're still in touch now, but we, yeah, we'd make these games for each other. Uh, and in a sense, I think we're kind of like this, uh, a starter game studio where our only customer was 
our best friend. <laughs> so we did that for a while. I got really into programming from there, uh, studied software engineering and worked at a few different companies uh, before joining Google back in 2007. Um, I started on a project called Google Web Toolkit, which was a cross a cross compiler for building web applications using Java and cross compiling into JavaScript um, for all different browsers, which back in 2007 was really difficult to do, writing uh, web application code to support across all these different browsers that we had back then was quite a challenge. So this helped a lot with that. Um, from there, I joined the AdWords API developer relations team and worked in that team for a number of years, then Android DevRel and Android Wear. Um, and now most recently, Firebase since 2018, uh, where I've been uh, working and focused on a lot of the engaged products in the Firebase development suite. So uh, all the products related to growing and engaging customers after they're uh, in, in your app. Um, so that's kind of the, the story in a nutshell so far. Yeah. Awesome. And you've been at Google since what, 2007? Was that? A... Two, 2007, yep. Wow. <laughs> that's a long time. That's well, a I left minute. and then I came back. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. Just <laughs> yeah, when you I, thought I you were out, they, they, they pulled you back. <laughs> yes, exactly. And you're based out of New York, correct? That's right, yep. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah. All right. So you know a lot about Google's products and, and we're going to talk about, you know, Superplay a lot, but we're going to talk about a little bit about, Far not a little bit, actually a lot about Firebase because Firebase is something that, um, that anybody who's gone through the, uh, the Google game camps or, or similar type of events, it's, it's, uh, it's widely pushed, but not everybody understands the benefits of it. So it's awesome to, to talk about Superplay, Dice Streams and, and, and all the elements that they were able to use out of that platform to, to leverage the growth. But, Let's jump in and let's talk a little bit about about dice streams and about Superplay. So, Noam, if you will, for those who haven't played, I mean, if you haven't played, you need to download this game ASAP. That's given. You can play it while you're listening to this. Uh, but, but can you can you a little bit explain about you know what do players players love about this game and what makes it unique? So, first of all, thanks for the free installs. Uh, <laughs> uh, look, dice streams uh, is in the mobile uh, casual world is like a really fun and high quality 3d game which make it a bit unique in the you know from uh, different games that was in the ecosystem before uh, we, we try to create like something that is really memorable really likable uh, and to add like a really social you know, a steady social aspect in it. And so people, especially when there was a COVID period and things like that, will still have ways to connect with other people. And so that was, you know, the idea. The idea is really to bring a great, and you know, 3D art and animation and core game that is enjoyable and you know is like stress-free to the users and i think that's a big part of the reason that we had that we were able to scale and grow so fast especially in the covid uh, period uh, and as long you know when time time moved on we were able to become i think one of the most one of the bigger uh, movers uh, in the past three years in that you know category and that's pretty much it. The idea was to create a great game with high value and to make people enjoy it. And it was sometimes as simple as that. Oh, yeah, uh, well, it sounds simple, definitely. <laughs> yeah. um, I was talking to my buddy, actually, a lot, uh, who's the uh, chief product officer at, at Superplay, and um, he, he, uh, he he, you know, told me the secret about the uh, the initiation of this game. It's like you had a bunch of ideas, and then you just chose one, and you made that game. <laughs> that was the, that was the whole process. That, basically, that's true because we had, <laughs> you know, a lot of ideas to get for games. We are developing a few more now, and it was one of you know uh, the ideas that just when it was said, and you know, we had like the. the the, all the mockups and you know the first the first uh, thing that we did is like you know like the beta and alpha when we saw it we said okay that's the one uh, that we're gonna push uh, so yeah for sure uh, it was pretty much that's the game let's develop it well a really clear vision I think from day one 
of how it would look. Yeah, uh, just just go forward. Um, were you there when, like, how soon did you join the company? Were you there when the game was in development, in production? Or did you join at, at soft launch? What was the, what was the point? So it was basically at the development. Uh, I came like two and a half months, three months after uh, the company was uh, founded. Uh, at the beginning, uh, you know, as a CMO, I didn't have a lot to do in marketing. Uh, <laughs> so I did QA, uh, I played it, uh, created all the creative risks and planned ahead about, the, you know, the soft launch, the global launch, uh, things like that were. You know, there's a certain KPIs that you need to go uh, in soft launch and global launch, even if it's marketing or, or you know, uh, or not marketing, tech launches and things like that. So then uh, my abilities came into action. But yes, mm-hmm. the beginning is, especially in a startup, when it's nine people, you do whatever needed. So at some, so at some point I was customer support also. So I answered, you know, users. And opened the Facebook page and, you know, did likes. Community management. Yeah, we did it all. So every one of us. Well, you've been promoted fast. (laughs) Customer support and QA. (laughs) (laughs) You were demoted in the beginning and then then rose to the ranks. Uh, But, um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I think that especially in a startup mode uh, that you are, everyone do whatever needed. It's like you did everything. So I did that and the others did other stuff that needed to be done. So yeah. Of course. Yeah. I'm I a lot of listeners that we have are founders. So they, they know. <laughs> they know the grind. You need to do everything down to uh cleaning. Um regarding the soft launch, the first numbers for dice streams, were they just phenomenal off the bat or was it more like um, just a grind through and then you kind of saw some okay numbers and you pushed forward or how, so, how was the, uh, how was so the it's, it's grinding. It's, it, it is, it's, you know, there was, when you do a soft launch, there's like, you know, like a, a red line that you say, okay, if that, if we're going below that, it means we did something seriously wrong. Uh, and unfortunately we were never on that KPI. Uh, and it was, you know, grind. When the time moves on, you improve and improve the KPIs, and you buy smarter, you know, to give a better feedback to, you know, to the to the monetization team, to the development teams, and uh, what you need in marketing, what you're seeing. I had, you know, because I was also the customer support, so I have first insight about what users are thinking, and you know, it's like it's a precious insight. Uh, the, the players that are doing, if you're doing, I don't know, if you're doing early access or anything else, uh, you can really uh, change uh, the game accordingly. So we saw the pain points and we, you know, and, and the metrics that we need to improve. And we did what's needed. So if the retention was low, we managed how to improve the retention. If, you know, session times and so on, so on, so on. We did it one by one until all the KPIs looked good. Good enough, and then when we went to global, so methodically, and and that's that's also an important message because you know we've had people who worked on merge games. They put something out after eight weeks, and they have day one of sixty five, and <laughs> day seven of like thirty percent. It's like oh, well, that's. Hmm. I'm amazing. I'm amazing. Um, that's what they thought to themselves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, until everybody else makes a merge game, and now you have problems uh, marketing it. Anyway, uh, one more question regarding dice streams. How quickly do you find the killer creatives or was it the same type of a grinding process where you maybe don't have these killer creatives and you just have a bunch of good ones or how, how was the other uh, process with the uh, creative optimization? It depends. Uh, you sometimes have like a killer creatives, but it takes time. Uh, at the beginning, when we started, you know, we looked at the, uh, the, the ecosystem and what our competitors is doing and their best creatives. And, you know, we try to keep the same line of creative because if it works there, it will, at the beginning at least, work with us as well. And, and when you moved on, you know, and up the ladder, you're getting more and more creativity and you have more creative freedom. And then we started to develop our own concept and our own creative language. And only then we were able to, you know, scale up much faster. But at the beginning, it's, it's hard. 
especially in a new game, we had the advantages that it's all 3D and it's and it's you know it's a beautiful game and we can record everything because it's Unity and things like that. But the the, the style and the creative itself it was again quite similar to others. Uh, only uh, down the road we started to be much 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 more creative with it, and then the killer creatives mm. came. Got it. So just first benchmarking with the with the competition and then slowly trying to figure out what works as you're trying different channels and so forth. Actually, last question, because we're, we're going to talk about Firebase in a second with um, and your use of it. How easy was it to get Firebase on your roadmap? <laughs> uh, not easy. Not easy. Uh, not at the beginning. You know, we have a lot of conversation about it. Every time you're asked like a third-party integration SDK, the developers, it's like something dies inside of them. It's like you're asking something that is, it's, it's hard and I understand because it's not something that, you know, depended on them. It's a third-party, whatever will happen, will happen. Uh, at the beginning, it was even harder because there was some situation that the, the, some SDKs create, you know, a lot of crashes and ANRs and things like that. Uh, but in here, it's like it gave us the abilities and it gave me the leverage uh, to use it in uh, Google AdWords. So without Firebase, basically, I couldn't run specific campaigns, uh, value optimization, stuff like that, which is, you know, it's a sales pitch. Uh, basically, we want to grow. Google is one of the largest, if not the, one of the largest, if not the biggest, uh, uh, platform for, 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 you know, for performance, I need the abilities to grow there as well. And without Firebase, it's hard. Uh, so, you know, that's my sales pitch to the product and it went in. There's no other way, basically. Yeah, and, and in six months, they said, all right, finally, we caved in. <laughs> yeah, you know, at the beginning, you have to remember, I'm, I'm telling maybe to all new marketers at the beginning, uh, Google AdWords, it's a hard platform because you need to invest quite a lot of money until you can, you know, optimize and, and you know, and, and reach your KPIs. So it's not, it wasn't urgent at the, at the, at the beginning of Dice Streams um, because we have a lot of milestones, different milestones we, we needed to do, uh, including user, you know, profiling and stuff like that, that is much harder to do. In, uh, so, but later on, when you start to scale to big numbers, you have to do Google. Perfect. Uh, all right, uh, Sumit, let's let's talk about a little bit about Fire. Not a little bit, actually, a lot of, about Firebase, and, and hopefully, after after this podcast, the listeners are have more context of why this is a good thing to be added. Because I I know also from the product perspective how much we don't like adding third party SDKs, and I also know that marketing heads will always come in with a new SDK and a new partner saying, this is it. This is the one we put in. You get better users. Your KPIs will go up. The game will, will be much better. Let's just put this one more SDK in. So, Sumit, can you please kind of walk me and the listeners of the podcast through what Firebase is and does it only work with Android or is it usable for both of the platforms? Uh, yeah, certainly. Um and I'm sad to hear the SDK integration experience wasn't that great <laughs> for, for you, Noam and uh, Mishka. Uh, we can definitely talk a bit more about that. Ideally, it's supposed to be pretty smooth. But um, but yeah, I can talk about what Firebase is. So uh, Firebase is Google's app development platform. Um, and it's for both mobile developers and web developers. And the goal is to help them build and grow apps and games that their users are going to love. Um, so it includes products in different categories to help them do this. Uh, the initial phase of app development or game development is building the game itself. Um, so in that phase, you'll need tools like for something like Firestore to help store your app data. Uh, you'll need something like maybe cloud storage to store user-generated data, um, authentication, and things like that to kind of uh, start building your, your app in the first place. So there's a whole suite of products within Firebase that are, that are aimed at that. Um, then after that first phase, there's uh, releasing your app for the first time and monitoring how it's going. Um, and there, there's another suite of products to help do that. So things like performance monitoring to kind of uh, determine, see the performance metrics of your app in the wild or your game in the wild and see if there's any performance issues uh, going on, both in terms of network traffic and rendering times and things like that, um, and helping improve that. Uh, Crashlytics SDK, 
um, is another product in that category, which helps determine your app stability. So you can kind of see uh, how many crashes are being generated. Are there lots of similar crashes going out when you have a new release that goes out in production, for example? So you can kind of quickly see that, get an alert if you see that there's high velocity of similar crashes happening, um, and then uh, address that as quickly as you can. And so there's other products in that in that um, in that phase of development. And then the last phase is uh, growing your app and engaging users and kind of growing it even further. Um, and along that side, there's other products like remote config, uh, A/B testing, Firebase cloud messaging. Um, so these are all different products that help to feature flag new things that you want to try out in your app, A/B test different variants or different experiences that you might want to test in your app as well. Um, and uh, that could be things like ad frequency experimentation for revenue optimizations, or it can be like if it's a new welcome screen or an onboarding screen that you're testing out with users or a new app flow, um, then different variants of that, that you might set up as well. Um, and uh, Firebase Cloud Messaging, that's for engaging your users through notification campaigns. Um, now, in terms of the platform that Firebase works for and what it targets, so it's, it's not just Android only, it is for web and both Android and iOS. So it's available for all of uh, it's cross-platform and um, and works across games uh, for games developers as well. Uh, we recently had a few updates specifically for the different platforms that it supports, just at I/O in a couple of weeks, just this past couple of weeks ago. Um, so for Android, uh, there's a new Crashlytics integration directly with Android Studio. So uh, that just kind of streamlines the streamlines the process for developers when they have crashes that come out for their app or their game. They can now see it directly in the IDE within Android Studio in this App Quality Insights pane. And then they can see what crashes are occurring, what volume they're occurring at, and then kind of click into them and go to the line of code responsible and like make this, the debugging process a lot smoother to help fix the crash. Um, there's also a link between Crashlytics and Play, Google Play accounts, where um, many developers will use Play Tracks to release like a, an internal testing or a beta channel or a, uh, a production track of their app. And so Crashlytics integrates with that now where you can have that filtering available within Crashlytics and filter the crashes by those different tracks. Um, and for iOS, there was also some updates in just fully supporting uh, and fully embracing modern Swift language co constructs. Um, so it makes the development process a whole lot easier, a whole lot less lines of code, because there's a lot of uh, new Swift features that you can take advantage of uh, developing with Firebase now. Um, and the last thing, uh, before kicking it back to you, Noam, that I wanted to mention is uh, the Flutter and Firebase integration. So that's uh, we. There's always been Flutter uh, Flutter integrations for Firebase, but those recently went into general availability. Uh, and Flutter is a you know a UI toolkit for building cross-platform apps as well. Um, and so its integration with Firebase makes it a lot easier to build these kind of cross-platform apps from both like backend services that you might use and like the front end that you'll use to build these apps out. Um, so yeah, that's kind of generally what Firebase is all about. So a lot, of, a lot of different things. What are the sort of a key? I mean, out of all this selection, what are the sort of a key elements why game teams actually take Firebase first? Like, is it the A/B testing? Is it the crash analytics? Like, what is the most interesting uh, for game teams usually? So for game teams, I guess it's a mix of different things. Um, initially, we've seen a lot of uh, like the Firebase's history is uh, you know real time database, which is still a product that exists now. And just the nature of what the product does, that was a really good, uh, for a lot of game developers, that was one of the go-to reasons they would go to Firebase, is just building on top of that and utilizing that feature. Um, but over time, and as more products got introduced into Firebase, we've seen a lot of uh, game developers take advantage of things like A-B testing, uh, remote config, and so forth, to kind of test different ad strategies out and optimize those. Um, Crashlytics, we've also seen a lot of game developers take advantage of that too. We've had a lot of improvements around uh, reporting crashes for games, uh, whether they're native implemented games or Unity implemented games. And there's a lot of support there with IL-2 CPP support to make it easier to kind of, if there's a Unity game crash, tracking that down to specific lines of code and making the crash make sense so that it becomes a bit easier to debug. So there's been a lot of improvements there, and we've seen game, game developers come to Firebase for for that as well. Uh, Noam, what were the um, so what did you want the Firebase for? Like, what was your most important selling argument for the game team? So it was um, a lot marketing related. 
So there was, you know, there's audience insight and things like that that I can't get anywhere else. Uh, uninstall data that only based, almost only Firebase controls, especially in Android. Uh, that's that's the main sales pitch that I did to, to integrate it. But for us, and I think for a lot of developers similar to us, uh, the marketing ability that Firebase brings it's one of the key elements why basically we integrated the game. Got it. And um, and talking a little bit more about dice dreams, and especially kind of going through the launch, like uh, the game was launched just when the pandemic started, uh, which was probably you know weird in the beginning, and then you realize that the market is actually really really hot, so it was a good time to launch a game. Um, before that, you had almost a year in soft launch, so it's a uh, you know a good amount of time to gather all kind of data. And that was before the IDFA deprecation. So you you had a nice head start. Um, when I looked at the data, the game really started scaling nicely after the global launch. It peaked in the sort of a mid-2021 and then declined a bit and then hit another growth spurt in 2022 from the beginning of the year. Um, can you talk a little bit about the, um, the you know, post-soft launch, the global launch, like, what was the dip about and and um yeah it's like kind of like the main main phases i think it's common that uh, a game that grows so fast uh, at some point say okay guys this is the numbers this is what we're seeing this is our user base let's now analyze go a bit back and slow the the growth and see how we can also improve it and improve the, the, the ROI to better understand and analyze and to try to predict when we you know when we return the, the players and estimate the LTVs and stuff like that. So a lot of that was it's a business wise, it's like a marketing decision, so let's hold back and see. And sometimes, you know, as a as a new developer in games, there's economy changes, there's features that you you brought out and didn't work as expected and uh, there's mistakes as always so sometimes it put you in the dip uh, but I think it was a bit of all of the above so we wanted to analyze better to better understand the user after the massive growth with an, enough data to do so we want to see how the progression of the users you know uh, moves on if our prediction of accurate or not and uh, so we be like the responsible uh, gaming company so we can increase back more once we understand that you know we are able to send our on our own feet without you know any help and stuff like that so that's what's that yeah, responsible right? scaling is is yeah, responsible scaling is very important for uh, for especially a startup i mean it's a it's a different thing when you're in a big company and you misspend by five million or so. <laughs> the the yes. like ROI was ROAS was not quite there, but it was a good push. We really believed that it could have done. But for a for a smaller game company, that could be uh, exactly. catastrophic uh, to to just keep the uh, the pedal on the metal. Um, so, what were some of the challenges that Dice Team faced during the period of you know the initial growth and kind of like pulling back a little bit on the, probably on the marketing spend and then starting again uh what was what were the challenges from marketing perspective really during this time when you begin you because you're small and your budget are small you're able to be much more precise with your marketing you can bring better users you have like the golden code at the beginning so everyone you know is happy your ctrs your conversion rates everything is moving better when you're you know, when you're in low scales. Uh, when you start to scale up, you need more options and uh, more targeting options. You need to go broader on the audience. You need to make the game a bit uh, more, you know, uh, for the mass than what maybe you, you planned at the beginning. Uh, so that's a lot of the times the scaling and the, and the fast scaling, it's something that is hard because you still have uh, K, the same KPIs, but you know, ten times the budget and stuff like that. And so you need to have a much better creative. You know, bring the we brought the creative in house. You need to 
productions that you know, smelter, you need to buy smelter uh, media. So you're improving your analytical skills, you're improving the events, and everything like that takes time. Now, at the beginning, if you're running like, I don't know, app purchase uh, campaign or something like that, uh, when you're scaling up, everyone is running that, and the competition is like massive. So you need to find a better way uh, to buy media and to still be competitive. So that's, I think, till today, that's the hardest part uh, to grow and to keep the KPIs. And I think every marketer in some point of you know, his marketing life will have the same situation. Everyone wants you know, the scale to go up. But it's not as easy as, you know, uh, there's a lot of misconception about marketing, you know. Uh, a lot of things and people think like, okay, you put a post, you promote it, and then you bring users. That's it. And you're, you're, you're done. <laughs> uh, but there's a lot of uh, things behind it. So, yeah. yeah. So, so, yeah, for, you know, most of us know that, that as you said, as you scale up, as you have as you're targeting more and more users, your competition increases and getting the ROAS becomes more difficult. Uh, so you need to improve your capabilities because in the beginning, the numbers can be very, very positive from the CPI perspective, from the IPM perspective. Uh, but as, as you start scaling up, the, uh, the pool becomes smaller or the competition becomes tougher. And I'm, I'm kind of wondering, do you have like approximate numbers of installs per month that are sort of a stages, like after you know, after you cross, I don't know, fifty thousand, then it becomes more harder. After you cross one million a month, it becomes harder. Or, or is it just really different per game? No, I think it's really different, not only per game, per geo, because one million users in the U.S. and one million users, I know, in India, it's a totally different uh, scale, or you know or quality and to bring one million users in the US is much, much, much harder than one million in, in, in India, but you'll get a better ROAS probably. So it depends a lot of, of, of that. So there's no magic number that I'm familiar with uh, for it. And it depends on a lot of that uh, of it is in the game. And I think in, in the company stage, because for example, now when we're going to develop new games, the, the the progression and the growth can be much much faster because we're you know we're already a, a steady company and we know uh, we we learn from our past uh, mistakes. We know what to do, so that's basically it. And what were the sort of actions that you take to improve the uh, dice streams ROAS performance? So data. Data is a lot of it. We are uh, doing, you know, some what we call smart bidding. Uh, we're using Firebase in, for it and, and things like that. A lot of it is to look for what we call blue oceans. It's uh, because you know that all of your competitors, uh, and not only their direct competitors, even if it's sometimes a big brand, I don't know, Coca-Cola or something like that, all of them are buying in the same places in the same methods. So to try to find a different method uh, uh, to, to, to buy a bit smarter, to change the events, uh, creative, to put you know a bigger uh, emphasis on creative, that's things that can really improve the Rust performance. Yeah. Uh, so so basically, yeah. Okay, got it. Going to the uh, Google Analytics bidding, really using the uh, the audience triggers there. Um, so I'm I'm curious to hear more about. You know how to use audience triggers. What are they? And um, yeah, just anything about that. Can you can you open up a little bit? Uh, yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, so audience triggers are a, they're a Google Analytics feature, um, and so they. Uh, I guess before explaining audience triggers and how they work, it'll be good to understand just Google Analytics events in general and Google Analytics audiences. So I can explain that a bit. So events are just events that you generate in your app uh, that you send out to GA to determine. All right. These are things that my users are doing, you know, when they first open my app that could get uh, uh, logged in um, and other actions like when they level up or make a purchase, things like that. So those are all the different events. Um, then the Google Analytics audiences, 
those are um, audiences you can create that represent users who have done the things that you care about. So you could say, for example, uh, purchasers, anyone who's made a purchase or an in-app purchase within the last month, uh, that's the audience that you'll define and they become the purchaser audience. So um, what audience triggers are is um, it's a um, somewhat of a newer feature where uh, when a user qualifies for an audience, a Google Analytics audience, that in itself generates an event that gets that you can then um, see and analyze and, and measure. So uh, for example, using that same purchaser audience, when someone qualifies for that, you could potentially send uh, an event that's uh, or analytics triggers can send an event that says, all right, um, you know, purchaser, uh, uh, purchaser user or something like that. And now you have that event that you can measure independently that you could optimize towards if you wanted to, and you can create another audience around that if you wanted to as well. Um, So one of the advantages of that is that you can kind of create like different funnels of these events as, um, you know, users or players in your game qualify for different audiences, more especially highly qualified events get uh, get get logged in, and then you can kind of uh, use that to create additional audiences or measure those specifically uh, as a conversion event that you might care about. And what do you mean by qualifying for an event? Like, what what does it mean in, in practice? Or uh, I guess I would say like uh, qualifying for like I guess the audience in that you know it, like those events become a bit more special, right? The ones that are generated by the audience triggers because it's not just events that are just being generated for different actions that users are taking. This is specifically an audience that you care about, that when this person does all these things and matches this criteria, I want to be able to measure that specifically. Um, so that's kind of, I guess, maybe my wording was a bit off, but that, that's kind of what I mean by it. Yeah, yeah okay, M- makes sense. And and there are plenty of different, you know, internal as well as external tools that are used to, to provide similar type of capabilities. Um, what makes Firebase different than other tools, both internal and external? Yep. Um, I guess the biggest difference is how um, how Firebase integrates with Google Analytics. So these Google Analytics audiences just generally Firebase, other Firebase products can integrate with those, um, and so and that includes audiences generated from audience triggers, uh, or the events that those are generated that generates those and audiences you might create over those. So um, there's different products in Firebase like uh, Remote Config, which allows you to kind of feature flag new things you want to try out, or change the look and feel of an app. Based on uh, based on different conditions, like a user being a part of an audience, uh, there's A/B testing you can apply as well, which can use the same kind of uh, audience targeting feature and that kind of thing. Um, and so that's uh, the integration with that is kind of one area where it makes it easy to you know create these audiences and then use them in other products like that to kind of adjust the look and feel. Um, so a good example of that is you know let's say at at a basic level, going back to the purchasers example. You might have purchasers in your app and non-purchasers. And so at a basic level, you might just say, all right, well, I want to do some ad optimization here. And so uh, for my purchasers, I might show less ad frequency. So I'll, for that audience, I'll show something a little bit less frequency of ads. And for my non-purchasers, a higher frequency. Um, but using things like, for example, audience triggers, you could do something like um, qualifying those purchasers more specifically for other things that they might have done. Let's say, for example, they've completed 10 levels or 20 levels and so forth, and they qualified for that audience for you. Um, So they've become a more highly engaged purchaser. Uh, You can then log that event, count and optimize towards that. And then independently within Firebase, you could say, all right, well, I have got audiences for these more highly engaged segments of purchasers. And maybe I want to try different, different ad frequencies for these different levels and see how that how that works in my in my app or in my game. And then similarly for non-purchasers. Um, so that's kind of some examples of that. Uh, there's also some integrations between analytics and uh, app ads or Google app ads and ad campaigns where these events uh, can be really helpful for optimizing ad campaigns and, and, and bidding. And I think Gnome has some more details about like more specifically something like that. So maybe I'll pass it back to him to give like a real example there. So yeah, go ahead, Noam. I'm I'm curious to like hear the practical implementation. I'm also yeah. curious to hear what is the size of a team that needs to be that that you need to have to to really start benefiting from from uh, from Firebase at this level. So it's it's much simpler than that. Like uh, basically, when I look at it, 
the one of the biggest advantages is today if I want to create a new event, I don't know, some specific event uh, that is a combination of two or three different events. For example, he did the averages, so averages and climb Mount Everest, I don't know, something like that. I need uh, to go to the develop to my developers. They need to create it in the you know back office client side, send it to AppsFire or Firebase, and then I need to pull it into the the platform that we're buying, and so on and so on. And so what Firebase basically came and did for us, for everyone, is to give me the ability to create uh, you know a combination of events that I desire. So for example, uh, uh, someone that purchased and played seven days a row or something like that. And then I can actually optimize to that. And when I'm doing it, I'm not competing with other app purchaser, you know, events that people are doing because I'm bidding for a custom event I created. So for us, that was like the game changer for that. And this is like the use team wise, there's no difference. So the team stays the same. And uh, you just need someone for, from our side, uh, our marketing guys, the UA, are handling also the Firebase and the integrations between Firebase and Google AdWords. So basically, all they need to do is to be creative and think about events they want to test. And they just go into the, the Firebase dashboards and the audience triggers and create it. And it's automatically pulled to AdWords and we can start using it. And uh, it gives us much more flexibility in media buying. That way, we're not limited to pre-you know defined events like we were in the past. Hmm. And in terms of analytics, do you use internal analytics tool or external? And um, are those uh, integrated together with with Firebase? Yeah. So basically, we are big believers in data. So we track and analyze everything uh, from three or four. Uh, sources like you know the store, firebase, client side, MMPs, and so on, and so on into one huge table, and then we analyze it all together. Uh, the advantage that the firebase analytics says that other doesn't is a lot of the demographic data that basically without it, without the firebase analytics, we don't have access to uh, unless you know we're using some kind of Facebook or ads and stuff like that. So that's, that was uh, an advantage, so that's why we're using it. But the, again, the main usage for us is the bidding. And that can be, you know, that's enough. Uh, you know, it's enough of a cost to, to use it. Yeah, makes sense. Um, what, what were the sort of initial results that you saw when you integrated these tools? So there's a lot, you know, first of all, we were able to scale much faster. Uh, we maintain, uh, we were able to scale much faster and maintain the KPIs we needed. Uh, at some point, if we didn't scale the ROI also, at the, at the, at the beginning uh, went up. Uh, but it's also a, a game of, you know, budgets. Uh, so the, the ability to scale fast uh, without damaging, you know, your KPIs uh, was an end even sometimes increase your hourly ROAS, that was, you know, and the best results that uh, we hoped for and we got. Awesome. And and it didn't take you long to to achieve these results. It was, you know, pretty much yeah, quickly quickly at hand. Yes, it's it's pretty much quickly. You need, you have a lot of, you have tries and errors there. You need to pick the right funnel that you're going to use. Need to use, you know, some uh, some analyzing for your from your team side to see that uh, there's connection between uh, the events that you're uh, combining. Because if you to put two different non-related events, I don't know, reach level 100 and did an upper just and level 100 takes 50 days, it's not usable. So there are a bit of a, you know. Uh, there is some kind of a curving learning curve, but it's pretty straightforward, especially when you have the guys from Google Ads that helps you with it. 
and did you did it help you to find spenders or or what kind of a was that the uh, the main target that you were going for? Yeah, it's always the main target. We were going for. Basically, <laughs> for, for I yeah. Well, it's, 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 so for for dice streams, does it is it mainly in app purchase or is there a yes, component yes. of ad monetization as well? No, we're in an IAP based game. Uh, that's our main main focus. Uh, the, the you know the ad monetization is a good uh, it's a good part of our revenue. It's like central part of our revenue, but it's not our focus. Was what, what kind of a numbers did did the uh, the ROAS see? Like, were there some some improvement numbers in the ROAS after after you started using Firebase, or can you can you share any kind of you know information on that that side? Uh, there is improvement in ROAS. How much? I'm I'm marketing. I'm a marketer. I'm still paranoid, so we don't share numbers. But there was a substantial improvement in ROAS. Uh, yeah. The amount, you know, it's to be determined. Got it. Got it. Makes sense. And um, I'm I'm curious to to hear. I mean, I ask this for every marketer these days, and I, I'm sure you've been asked this for 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 past. Like, what has been the effect of IDFA deprecation? Like, because you were you started off just before that. I mean, you had a good year in soft launch, yeah. and then the the reason why most of the people are listening to this, if not all, is trying to figure out how to market in this new world. So. How has this helped you as you as you've um, as you've continued to scale? iOS fourteen point five, exact uh, was uh, was a big blow, but I think it was a big blow for everyone at that time. But we were fortunate enough to understand uh, our result before uh, the change, so we had you know some kind of benchmark of what to anticipate and what to see, um, but. As time moves on, we're becoming smarter of how to buy media in iOS. And there's things that helps more and help less, you know, in, in it. But basically, we went back a bit to the way we used to buy media before all the big algorithms and stuff like that. And we moved, you know, to the to the core thing that is important: is the users that you bring, the targeting, the creatives, and we stopped, you know, counting on algorithms that will be able to bring us. Uh, with uh, the, the the bad came the good also because iOS is an opportunity. iOS 14.5. It was an opportunity it's still because it made a lot of big companies shift to Android. And when it makes that, iOS is, is you know, it's sometimes cheaper, uh, cheaper than what it used to be. It's not cheap, but it's cheaper than what it used to be. So we try to utilize that as well. But there's still, there's no, for me at least, there's no big, you know, announcement about we cracked iOS 14.5. I think everyone is in the same situation that is like, it is what it is. We're trying to do our best with it, and uh, we look at things a bit more, you know, uh, you know, a bit upper the funnel. So I mean, it's we we'll look at more in a macro level, like a lot of time because you know, you know, you have the, the misattribution things like that, and the fingerprint and all that still it still exists until you know someone will change it probably. Uh, so that's, you know, that's still a good uh, way to buy an iOS 14, 5, uh, but all the Facebook and uh, Scott did their stuff. So we're looking a bit more, you know, uh, in a macro level. So we look at iOS activity as a whole sometimes. Got it. And, and you do you use a lot of, I mean, is it is it your approach to use a lot of learnings you get from Android and then kind of, I don't know, almost half blindly try to replicate them on, on iOS or, or how do you balance between the two platforms? No. Uh, the easy the, the simple is no. The, the users are, it's sometimes absurd, but the users are really, really different. We see it, basically, you know, we, we know the users. We still have, uh, we know their how they play the game. We know everything about them except of where they came from and, you know, who brought them. 
So the activity, the way they play, everything is a bit different. And so it's hard, except for the store sometimes, that, you know, the, the Google Play experiment was easier. Now iOS almost catched up the, the store optimization. So we used to do a lot of testing in, uh, in uh, the Google Play platform and then did the iOS. Uh, but in marketing view, it's, it's not equivalent. There's, uh, there's also m less media source of traffic sources to buy for iOS than what you have currently to Android. So it always is an issue. So the, you know, the easiest question is no, uh, but you know, we always try new stuff. Yeah. So no matter how good you are on Android, it doesn't make you great on iOS. Like you just have to work hard to, to figure out what works, what doesn't, uh, even with less visibility. Yes, the good stuff in it that they usually, and I'm not, I don't think I surprise anyone here, the iOS player quality is higher in our, you know, in our category. So it should be worth a while. Yeah, it's pretty much with every category except maybe hyper-casual. It's like a lot of hyper-casual yeah, companies. Exactly. Are pretty much all Android. Uh, yes, because it's really hard for the bidders to bid with, without them know who the player is. So it makes sense that I, the hyper industry will, you know. So can you share some additional use cases for audience triggers beyond what, what Noam described? The, there's the other side, though, of... Um, just kind of what game developers are using uh, are doing with Firebase, uh, not necessarily on the on the buy side of ads, so on on like bidding for on ad campaigns and that kind of thing, but on the ad revenue optimization. Um, I think as No mentioned, that's not a super big part of uh, Superplay, but for a lot of game developers, we've seen that's a that's a part of what they do. And so there's a lot of um, different Firebase products and features that can help uh, developers in that space too for for the for the sell side or using AdMob and things like that. Um, so. Uh, we've seen, we have a lot of uh, there's a lot of case studies published on on our site of developers who have used some of these products. So for folks who are listening who want to see like specific examples and maybe some numbers of what uh, different customers have done, you can check that out there. Um, but essentially, one really popular one that we've seen is using A/B testing. Um, so within their games, so A/B testing for different ad frequencies, uh, user retention rates, and game difficulties and things like that. So um, that really helps where they can use audiences to segment their different users and then test out different ad frequency uh, uh, variants and then see which one works best over time and then kind of promote that and optimize with that. Um, we also have a lot, of, uh, a lot of game developers who are, you know, A-B testing in Firebase is great for these kinds of tests that I just mentioned. But sometimes there's a lot more like detailed tests that folks want to run and detailed analyses that they want to do that go beyond what just Firebase A-B testing itself does. Uh, and in those situations, we've seen a lot of game developers use A-B testing with analytics and then export that data into BigQuery where they can do their own analyses um, and kind of do a more raw analysis of what's going on. Um, so um, usually we've seen some game uh, game publishers with um, kind of like you know data scientists or folks like that who design their own tests beyond the simple, just like, all right, we just want to test ad frequency. Um, and so they they can use that, and they've seen some success with that too. Um, if they get even more advanced than that, they can use just uh, remote config, uh, just as a raw feature flag, and then design their experiments from end to end, both in terms of how they expose it to users, and then the data that they analyze on the other end in big in BigQuery, um, and then finally Crashlytics, which I mentioned uh, earlier as well for games developers. There's been a lot of improvements there, so we've seen a lot of uh, game devs come there for that. Um, one, there is um, a new thing as well uh, for game developers that we've uh, talked about. We released this, I think, at our last Firebase Summit, so uh, about seven months ago, seven or eight months ago. And this is a new feature called personalization. Um, that's also available within that umbrella of remote config and ABT. But it's this uh, new thing that uh, is kind of different than A-B testing in a lot of ways. And we've seen some partners already use this to some to a lot of uh, benefit. And what it does is that instead of A-B testing different variants over a longer period of time, uh, personalization will kind of serve up different variants in real time to users and use machine learning to determine what works best for this user in particular uh, versus you know, A-B testing, which is what works better on the whole and what is statistically significantly better for everyone on the whole. Um, so it's uh, 
it's different in a lot of important ways. One being that it's personalized to each individual user. So everyone gets something different depending on what works best for them. Um, and then it's also different in A-B testing in that it happens in real time and on a shorter time scale. So A-B testing, you'll kind of set up your test and then let it run for about two to three weeks to get some data and then see if, see if there's any statistically meaningful results at the end of that. Uh, with personalization, it, it just kind of starts working almost automatically and just trying to figure out, did this work, did this work, did this work? And it keeps adjusting to see what works best and then uh, just uses ML in a much shorter time window to optimize for for user. So um, it's a new feature. We've, we have a lot of case studies um, out there for uh, how personalization works and uh, how it's been beneficial. So I uh, definitely recommend that. We've seen some game developers using that. And Noam, I have, uh, have two questions. Have you used personalization uh, and, and to what extent? And also, as you're A-B testing different creatives, like have you noticed that creatives that tend to work really well on play, do they transform as easily to iOS or um, is that um, false, yeah. false thinking? I think, so for personalization, not yet. Um, about the second question, look, when a creative is good, sometimes it it works cross-platform. It doesn't matter where. Um, so yes, we're seeing the same creatives that works in Android also work in iOS. Uh, sometimes we need to adjust them a bit, but generally speaking, pretty much, you know, because the audience demographic is around the same. So if it works well in Android, more, a lot of the times it works well in iOS. There's always exceptions, uh, but it's how to put, you know, your finger to point why. It can be something silly as, you know, in the commercial we did, we put an iPhone or something similar to iPhone because we can't use iPhone. And the other we put like in the end screen in Android and sometimes makes a difference, but it's really hard to know why. That's, I think, one of the most, the biggest issues in our industry, creative uh, analyzing and to better understand it's easy to see which creative works. The why, it's it's one of the most difficult things, and that's a lot of things that we put emphasis on. So we have like big meetings, big meetings with the creative teams, and we're analyzing the creatives, not only the numbers, but you know when you have 10 or 15 people that look at the same creative that works well or work really, really bad, and try to figure out what's the difference and why this is good and this is bad, it gives them a lot of insights. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I've, and it's been since since how long I remember in in this industry since like 2012 or 2011 since I saw first creatives. Uh, some of the creatives that make no sense why they should work are working like better than anything else, and they are not even about the game, and they are outstanding. So there's no logic in what creative works. I agree. I think that one of the best creative I ever uploaded was like a mistake. It wasn't even supposed to go live. It was like a cringy something that was like a joke. And, you know, and sometimes it's, it's, it's really frustrating because you have, you have amazing creative teams that work really, really hard. And, you know, when you go for production, it costs you, you know, a lot of money. And then a 10 minute video of someone doing something stupid with a game, you know, an influencer works better. And you're like, oh, I, I remember. I remember. Uh, okay, this is like since we're talking creatives. I remember in 2013, the best creative for Clash of Clans was um, it was a picture of a house, and then somebody drew on top of the house just arrows how to attack the house, like uh, go through the front door, just like a quick mock up yeah. or something. And it was the best for performing, <laughs> better than than all the beautiful 3D assets and everything done by the marketing agency. It's just like a, just slap on. <laughs> I, I totally agree. Sometimes you know you look at it and say that ugly works. It just make it ugly and probably work better than what we did. Yeah, so it can be extremely demoralizing, especially for internal creative teams. Um, all right. Uh, so yeah, creatives, I love it because it doesn't make any sense. It's just about just try everything and no idea is a bad idea. Yeah, it, it's a lot of times emotional based. So even when we analyze, you know, uh, creatives, we try to understand what the emotion on what, you know, and each platform has totally different way to present creative. Creative that works in TikTok 
won't work anywhere else but TikTok probably and st stuff like that. So uh, we are trying to analyze why and what's the emotion or you know what would cause the user to act. This is why the more people that see it and have the like you know comments sometimes it's a better. But still, sometimes you look at something and say everyone looks at it and said why it will never work. Why even to upload it and then it wins them all and you like. The numbers are the numbers, you know, guys. We're going with it. Um, all right. So, last question: um, What's next for Dice Streams? And and because um, I'm I'm looking at the Dice Stream data, like you had, like last couple of months have been the highest of all time. So, so you guys are continuing to grow, continuing to thrive, uh, which is, you know, the the general narrative is like it's doom and gloom. Nothing works. Mobile is horrible. But here's another example where where you have wait a minute, how many months of growth you've been having? Like quite many consecutive months of growth. So so clearly doing a lot of things right. So what's next for, for Dice Dreams? The world. Uh, <laughs> okay, look, um, it's true we had, a, we, have a, we had a really strong Q1 and a really strong beginning of 2022. I think everyone is going to see it. There's like a slope in the industry. Uh, the Ukraine situation and uh, the interest and so on and so on. So it will become harder to smaller company uh, to go bigger. Uh, it will open to medium companies or stable companies, I think, at us uh, a door to buy better and cheaper uh, uh, traffic. So we, we assume we'll continue growing until you know. It's never enough. And we have a few more games than that, but we always like to grow. So I think we'll continue on growing, uh, but we'll keep in mind that the, the, the current situation, the worldwide situation isn't, you know, if there was, you know, uh, if there were like suppression or something like that, or not suppression, that's not the world. It's like, uh, give me the world. Recession. Recession. That, Recession. Uh, exactly. Cut it out later. <laughs> if, we'll have, if we'll have recession, I think uh, a lot of the companies, regardless to, to how strong and steady are they, will have a hard time to scale up, or maybe also us. Yeah. Um, and regarding Firebase, are you going to utilize any more products of Firebase? Or like, you know, we talked about personalization. Uh, probably, yes. And uh, we're, I think Firebase is a good partner for us. And our experience uh, working with them is really, really good. So for sure, when we see something that we can utilize, and especially in the new games, I think also in the new games, Firebase basically will be there from day one almost. So uh, for sure, yes. Which one? I still don't know. I still need to, I need a better sales pitch to the developer team because DICE is such, it's easier for the new games to say, yeah, I need that, I need that. Yeah. Yeah, but but at least you got you got the uh, you got it on dice. You got it on the future games. So that's a that's a win, and you were able to prove that that it's a useful SDK to have on the games. Uh, and um, and yeah, now probably many more marketers will use dice streams as an example of a growing game that was implementing Firebase. So let's, <laughs> please, product team, let us put uh, let us I, put Firebase I, in it. I feel like I I, sh <laughs> I shot my foot a bit here. <laughs> But yes. <laughs> well, they'll be calling you. They'll be calling you first if, like, if they're having any issues with it. Yes. <laughs> so, so, Sumit, um, any any kind of last words of advice on how developers can take full advantage of, of Firebase's offerings? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, and just before getting into that, uh, yeah, Joe, if, uh, sorry, Joe, uh, Noam, if you need any help, uh, as I mentioned just before the call, that Joe started reaching out to you from the Firebase team, so he can help you out if you need some some more <laughs> some more uh, context to give to your teams for other products to use. But, um, but yeah, uh, yeah, just to go back to uh, yeah things that I would say to anyone listening who wants to start using Firebase. Um, I mean, despite what you might have heard, it's not that easy to. I mean, it is easier <laughs> than it sounds to integrate some of these. So I'd say just get started. Uh, depending on what you need for your app. Uh, take a look at kind of some of the products that are there, and depending on what phase that you're in, uh, in your app's development and game development lifecycle, um, and then just see what you'd want to use. Like for game developers, we talked a lot about um, A/B testing, real config, and Crashlytics. Those are all fairly easy uh, SDKs to integrate. Um, remote config, in order to use like audiences and things like that, 
uh, from Google Analytics. It does require using Google Analytics and the Google Analytics for SDK, like Google Analytics for Firebase SDK. Um, but if you're, uh, which can maybe be a, a bit longer to integrate, but uh, otherwise they're all fairly quick to get started. So I'd say just check it out, check out the docs and and take a look. And we're, you know, folks from my team are there to help and we're listening on forums and support for us and support um, our support uh, team as well to kind of answer any questions folks have. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining the podcast. And Noam, thank you. Thank you again for joining the podcast. A lot of information, a lot of useful information on on, on Firebase. And, and really, uh, we're looking for all the tools possible to to continue growing in the market. So I think this is uh, this is one of the uh, the important ones for the product teams and marketing teams to, uh, to utilize. So thank you guys for joining the podcast. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. All right. Appreciate and it. thanks everybody for listening. And LinkedIn uh, of, of the two fine gentlemen are in the description below. So if you're having troubles with Firebase, Sumit, and if you want to <laughs> learn how to take the most advantage of it, so probably both Sumit and Noam uh, are the people to connect with. So thanks again and goodbye, everybody. Bye.